0: Hey everyone, we are proud to be a part of the W2M Network and wanted to take a quick moment to give you an update regarding the W2M Network feed. If you've subscribed to the Source Material Comics feed, nothing will change. However, due to some new policies by Spreaker, if you listen to us on the W2M net podcast feed, along with all of the other great W2M net shows, that feed will soon cease to exist. Shows like the Radulich and Broadcasting Network, Video Games to the Max, Talk the keki, and others in the description of this episode, will still have their own dedicated feeds. So punch in their name and your podcatcher and subscribe. All right, on with the show.
1: Unspoken Issues.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. We're getting back together. We're celebrating... Well, it's right now It's about Christmas time for us. I know you guys probably be listening to this eh, a little bit in the future. But uh, right now, when I think Christmas, I think pizza. No, I don't. But (laughs) we're going to be talking about pizza. Dean Compton's here. He's he's thinking about pizza. It's almost Christmas time. You know why? Because we always
1: seem to have, like, a couple of pizza parties early in December at school. Oh, yeah. And then we would have a Christmas party proper closer. But, like, it seemed like in the the first week in December, you know, like, we would have a pizza party. I don't know why. Anything anything can be a Christmas treat as long as you get it in December.
2: All
0: right, that's Dean Compton over there, unspoken decade uh, extraordinaire. Uh, Listen, I believe you were the one that pitched this to us. So before I, you know, get Derry's opinion on things here, tell us why you decided this is what we want to do right now.
1: It's just pure fun. You want to talk about like what was arguably the, the halcyon days of our youth. You know, we're all, you know, uh, in our early 40s, late 30s now. It's weird to think that, like, I can't go outside without tripping over some superhero property, whether it's the CW ghetto or the whatever James Gunn is going to do with the DC Universe, the DC Cinematic Universe. Marvel has everything, you know I mean? Just like everything. And so this is a time when I think most of us were a year, maybe two, into starting to collect comics, getting really big into superheroes. And I don't think anything could have been bigger than the X-Men cartoon at that time. And if you were like me, you had them bookets growing up, you read the fucking books, you got the fucking personal pan pizza, and now they were gonna combine the X-Men, which was already like the biggest thing that could possibly happen in my life at this time, with pizza, which is something that like I'd always loved. I loved, I loved getting that personal fan pizza. I loved book it. You know what I mean? And now we're gonna have tapes and there's gonna be cups and there's gonna be giveaway comics, and there's gonna be, you know, the box that has the X-Men on it. It was like it was aimed directly at us. I think also when it comes to 90s, stuff, we talk a lot about stuff that can be a little serious. We can get very serious on here. Today it's gonna be like 90% fun. You know, we're gonna we're gonna poke some fun here, but we're gonna keep in mind this was all aimed at getting people, particularly younger people, to bridge the gap from the X-Men cartoon and from their Pizza Hut, their local pizza hut. To reading comic books, to reading the X-Men comics, which is another thing they don't really do anymore. Like if you get some kind of giveaway, it's more geared to get you to watch another movie or buy a Marvel Legends. This one, these, especially the real heroes, really were like, hey, there are comic books and you can read them available so you know like I said pure fun and I think an important marker of the times an interesting way to see how the times have changed just a reminder of how important it used to be to drive readers to comic books as opposed to how it seems to be now that's probably why I picked it and also snick snick Wolverine baby I love fucking Wolverine he's in this a lot
0: (laughs) and now you can get a Marvel Comics X-Men video a
1: mini comic book and trading card for $4.99 with any pizza purchase. There are
0: two X-Men video packs to collect, and you can get your flaws on both of them exclusively at Pizza Hut. Strange and powerful forces are attracting people to Pizza Hut. It's the Marvel Comics X-Men video with a mini comic book, pull-out poster, and trading
1: card, all for only $4.99 with any pizza purchase.
2: Oh, I'll wrap that up. Exclusively
1: at Pizza Hut. A powerful force has come to Pizza Hut, Marvel Comics X-Men. For $2.99, you can get a personal pan pizza X-Men cup and one of four all-new exclusive edition X-Men comic books. You won't get this X-Men experience anywhere else. No doubt about it.
0: Derry, I want to know, were you heading to the Pizza Hut? to get yourself some x-men comics what's going on over there
2: i do remember these uh i remember them very fondly uh these came out just as i was starting to get really into comics so as far as i uh was concerned it's like oh great uh, more x-men issues these are clearly just as important as the ones i would get at the newsstand uh so Boy, I do i things. have news for you <laughs> reading these things took me back they uh wow they don't make them like this anymore the thing i really appreciated now that i absolutely would not have no- been able to know at the time is how deep in the canon these are like they they're not self-contained stories like i am sure i read these when they came out and i had no idea what was going on and i was like oh, eventually i'll figure it out and now i read it and i know who all the characters are and it's like oh you had to have read a lot of comics beforehand to, to follow the story that's being laid out here which which is weird because you'd think you know d- done in one with uh the characters you're going to see in the adaptation but i had a blast uh, i was also a huge fan of the x-men cartoon and um You know, that came out not too long after I started getting the comics themselves. So it kind of all my my family. Them all began at the same time, and uh, these these were a delight. I don't know that I could ever give them to someone because they're not very good. But I I liked having them. Uh, I'm happy they're still in my collection, and uh, I, I I was very upset I could not get Pizza Hut before uh, we were recording tonight. So uh,
1: yeah, you know, I think the uh I think the X Men issues do a much better job than the Real Heroes issues of getting over who these guys are and what they're doing. The problem is is it does it with all the subtlety of a goddamn intercontinental ballistic missile. It's kind of pick your poison. Do you have to know a lot, or do you just want it to be like you get bludgeoned with it? So mm-hmm. that's interesting. It's inter- I think it was interesting. You know, uh, that's an interesting dichotomy between them. Probably because the real heroes had a bunch of different
0: writers. Well, all right, let's get into it. Here we've got quite a few comics to talk about. But the good thing is, I've I did a synopsis uh, on all four issues. Not like I had to, you know, really truncate a whole lot here these these are small issues i mean dean do us a favor and and kind of explain to the people i mean these weren't full-size comics these people were getting right
1: no, I mean, I think it's important. You know, they're giveaways. These are these are promo comics. That means, it honestly means you got a really good job on all of them from all the art. I think the best part about the first four of the covers, Marvel artists got paid a lot more to do these comics because there'd be no royalties. So your page rate was something like triple or quadruple, what it was. I can't say for sure. If somebody knows, please, you know, fill that in. So, yeah, they're giveaway comics. They're not in full size. And again, they're designed to get you more interested in the X-Men. So they're going to give you whether you're going to Watch the cartoon. Whether you're gonna pick up the comic books or even just buy the action figures, get a Wolverine watch, a a storm onesie, whatever the fuck it is. Here are the fucking X Men, and you gotta be into it. I think these are like around half, maybe a little more than half size, and they all wrap up pretty neatly. And they have an overarching theme, but you'll also notice you can read any of them and get a fairly complete story to an extent. I actually had all of these. I didn't go get the pizza, but I bought them later out of quarter bins. But I I did get the first one. I think it's the Rogue Gambit one. I got that one at the pizza place. Watch out. Batesville, Arkansas Pizza Hut forever. a Street Fighter 2 game, I played it.
0: Oh, nice. I live yeah, that dream. We kind of talked about this last week, like, you know, getting prepared for this. What was what was the arcade game at uh, at your local Pizza Hut? Right. And I I remember, of course, there's the Pac-Man Galaga. There's probably Miss, Man, Miss Pac-Man Galaga there or something like that. You know, the two, the coffee table one where you could sit down and play it. And then there was for some reason, I remember Darkstalkers. I don't know if you remember that game at all. It was a fighting game supernatural type have of deal. the
1: wing the winged ladies on it you Oregon. got it yeah yep yeah, yeah. yep
0: yep you got it but she's in the marvel uh,
1: versus capcom games
0: that's right yeah that's her P- going to pizza was a big deal kind of our you know in our in our family you know it's a sit down pizza restaurant oh my goodness you know that's that's they are bringing toilet. this to our table I was, dom- this ain't domino's i mean we're going there and we're actually sitting down and eating
1: like a goddamn so- family for one <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that gets old pretty quick. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I am pretty certain that I've got the VHS tape volume two of the creator's choice when I was at my dad's, uh, staying that weekend. So we went down to pizza hut and I don't know how. In the world, I ended up with it. I must have spent, uh, you had to spend a little bit of money to get it, right? That wasn't, like, for the VHS tape, I'm sure you had to. Because back then, that they weren't just going to give those VHS tapes away.
1: If I recall, you had to buy the VHS, but I think it was, like, $9.99 with the purchase of a pizza.
0: Okay, I somehow got a hold of it. Well, anyway, so that I still have that to this day. And, yeah, you're right. I The comic book that came with it, I mean, legitimately is probably about...
1: Probably about three-quarters the size of a comic, if that.
0: Maybe close to the
1: 66%.
0: Still on it to this day. I remember it being a thing. These other ones I don't recall for some reason. The ones that came out in 94. But again, like I said, we didn't go to Pizza Hut a whole, a whole lot. So Well,
1: there was an entire advertising campaign around both the ones with the tapes and when they had the personal pan pizza boxes. I don't recall any advertising campaign to get you excited that because Namor and Daredevil were going to be in these comic books. I just don't. Now, it's possible you would have seen this on, like, the Marvel Action Hour where Namor and Iron Man were actually showing up. Maybe uh. on the Spider-Man cartoon, maybe they pushed it there. But I didn't get to watch that either, any of that day And that. We didn't have a station that carried the Action Hour, and uh, I didn't get Fox, and we lost cable around the time the Spider-Man cartoon started.
0: X-Men Collector's Edition, 1993, all right? So we got four stories here. I'm going to try and break down the names of the stories, creative teams, and then we'll get into the synopsis. I'll turn you boys loose. Here it is. First issue is called Slice of Danger. Uh, All four of these written by Scott Lobdell. Uh, Slice of Danger penciled by Andrew Wildman, lettered by Rick Parker, inked by Stephen Baskerville, and colors by Jim Halston. Then we have Through the Roof, uh, penciled by John Hebert inked by Bill Anderson, lettered by Rick Parker, colored by Sharon and Becton. Then we have Perilous Pickups, penciled by Jim Craig, Dan and David Day on inks, Rick Parker on letters, and Bob Sharon on colors. And then we have the final issue, which is called One to Go, Mike Harris on pencils, Harry Candelario on the finished art, Rick Parker on letters, and Mathis and Garahi on colors. These four issues, someone has sabotaged Cerebro, the high-tech device used by Professor X to find other mutants in the world. Now he needs his X-Men to gather materials to help repair Cerebro and possibly find out who did it. The team splits into groups. Rogue and Gambit head to the danger room to realign Cerebro's circuits and get a holographic template essential in repairing a Cerebro. The pair get more than what they bargained for when the room unexpectedly begins to simulate the events of days of future past and deadly sentinels begin to attack. The fight grows more and more intense until finally Rogue saps some of Gambit's power and unleashes a large blast, leveling the giant robots. The Danger Room reverts back to normal and the two felt they have succeeded but wonder who had the ability to sabotage Cerebro and the Danger Room. Wolverine and Jubilee hop in the Blackbird and head to the Savage Land to find some vibranium to re-energize Cerebro's core. Heading home with the payload, there is a small explosion and the plane begins to shake. To make matters worse, they find Sauron and Sabretooth have stowed away on their ship and a fight ensues. Wolverine accuses them of the explosion, but Sauron denies it. Luckily, as Wolverine fights the duo on the wing of the X-Men's Blackbird, Jubilee's piloting skills are able to shake the villains off the outside of the plane just before it comes in for a rough landing. Getting the material home was a success, was a success. however, they are not closer to finding out who it is that has sabotaged Cerebro. Beast and Storm head to Muir Island, meeting up with Maura McTaggart to gather some high-tech equipment. Just so happens, Magneto shows up to rescue one of his imprisoned acolytes. Magneto is also denies damaging Cerebro, claiming He would have just taken the thing to further his own agenda. With some ingenuity on Beast's part, they are able to get the upper hand, causing Magneto to retreat. Storm and Beast gather the tech that they need and fly back home. Now the team prepares for Gene to lead Cyclops and Bishop into the virtual world of Cerebro right into Cerebro's core in order to reprogram it. This is very 90s. Inside cyberspace, Bishop and Cyclops must be cautious, as even though the danger seems virtual here, guess what? Their physical bodies can die from what they experience. Shortly, the villain Arcade appears using constructs of Bishop and Cyclops' teammates to attack them. Keen teamwork and some trickery win the day as Bishop unleashes a powerful blast that destroys the virus inhabiting Cerebro. This allows Jean to use her ability to track down the real culprit that wasn't Arcade after all. It turns out that all of these events were a test given to the team by their own mentor, Professor Xavier. Now that they have all passed, it's time for some pizza.
1: Is an asshole, like these they almost die like a couple times. Like it's, oh, it's all just a big test. He sends them across the goddamn planet. Right. Like dude. go to the Antarctica to test. Planet. But that did lead to the best part of this comic or any comic, which is when we get to see Zabu, Sabertooth Tiger, what a cute kitty. And then we get to see we get to see them all snuggling up. Getting some scritchens from Jubilee is the best part of any of these comic books, I swear to God. <laughs> these comics do what they're supposed to do. They, you know, in every issue you get over. First off, like I said earlier, like, the covers are amazing. Like, they're these large fold-out covers to where, like, you know, you get a lot of action. They pair everybody up, Gardner Fox, 60s, Silver Age, Justice League style so that you can get more focus in every issue on a, on a couple of, uh, you know, individuals. You know, you have to accept something's happening, you know, like, how did Wolverine not smell Sabretooth, his arch enemy on this plane? Like, how would that not work?
0: I, I, and it's funny because I think they even talk about how he uses his sense of smell at one point while he's in the plane, and, like, they were really on the nose on that, but it wasn't in the nose of Wolverine. Right, um,
1: right, right. <laughs> um... It's, it's interesting that they decided to throw the Savage Land into this. That's I, maybe because it was gonna be on the cartoon. You know, it was gonna be prominently featured in season two. I love the Savage Land, don't get me wrong, but it was cool to see that. But some of these things also were like, what what was Rogues and Gambit's job exactly? To like go to the danger room and get a thing? Go across the house and bring me back a snack. That's what it could have been. <laughs>
0: right i was gonna say remember resident evil when we were talking about the guy that went on the fetch quest to get all the shit for the bomb i mean that's this is that's what it reminded me of here like hey we gotta get we gotta get this piece and we gotta get this piece and we gotta get this piece and the pizza oh look out
1: I think that my I think that my favorite uh, part uh, issue though was definitely the uh the Storm Beast one it was cool to see all the mural stuff very always cool to see Magneto and that's another thing they do here is you get Magneto and you get Sabretooth which And you get the Sentinels. So you really get a wide breadth of, like, you know, these are the big-time X-Men villains you're seeing on the cartoon at this time. So that's pretty good. Uh, In the last issue, Jubilee refers to this, like, techno wizardry where they're going to go inside the computer because the files are inside the computer as, like, retro. What's retro about this? Like, this is, like, super fucking future. I also want to point out, Bishop is the most useless X-Man. He's useless here. He's useless in the other ones. He's just mega, mega, mega useless. And Aww, uh, I on. really dislike everything he does.
0: No. And
1: I, I just do. I don't like, I just put Cable in there. Cable's no. better in every way. He does everything Bishop does. He just does it better and cooler. It looks cooler. so uh yeah you know um i like these issues for what they are and i really liked them at the time they were really exciting and they were stuff that you could actually give to somebody i like i said i love the art throughout the throughout all four nothing bad to say about them they get the job done that they're supposed to get done also let's point this out you got these with like a personal pan pizza you could eat a personal pan pizza in about the time it would take you to read this comic so that's true you're supposed sure. to like eat and read here. I know somebody's like, do not get grease on the pizza, but get grease oh, on the pizza. Me. Who cares? You're probably just gonna run like a bishop panel. What do you care? <laughs>
0: nah. I'm a fan of bishop. I mean I I, I I'm sure you you know I, I'm, I'm a little but biased. Why? I I'm uh it's time travel by and I understand what well, fucking cable but <laughs> <laughs> I liked Bishop. I liked him showing up, and I think he does plenty in these issues. I think, I mean, he's the guy that helps get them out of cyberspace and takes care of the virus. So he actually won the day here. And then there was no
1: winning the day. There was the bad guy. I'm winning the day. This is all just a weird fucking jerk off by Professor X to like put people through motions because he's a weird gaslighting son of a fucking bitch.
0: (laughs) I would have loved to have seen him fire one of them at the end of this. And you fucking failed. These guys are all right.
1: (laughs) Bishop, you're going back to your terrible future. Since Rachel Uh, Summers back to the days of the future. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Only room for one time traveler on this team. I did like what you said though. This is a great way of peppering like all of the X-Men staples out there. You know, all of these things that are so common in the comic books, Cerebro, Murile, clearly the characters and their powers. You got to get everybody in here and the villains as well. It's a great way to showcase your rogues gallery. That's what I appreciated. And I think, this, to me, is the one that felt like the most comic book series out there. Even though the plot seemed pretty thin when we reached the end of it, this was, to me, a comic book story. didn't feel like it had any kind of agenda behind it. And I, that, I, that's why I appreciated these probably yeah. the most about what we're getting from the rest of these comics. Like um, I said,
1: these are comics you're supposed to read while you eat a personal pan pizza that has the X-Men on the top and you have a fucking Mountain Dew or Pepsi, whatever PepsiCo product you want, because that's what Pizza Hut does. Yum Brands. Yum Brands. Spin off of PepsiCo. So, right. like, they still have that agreement going. So, you're going to fucking, like, get your Pepsi product. Maybe, maybe a Sierra Mist. I don't fucking know.
0: Ooh, I don't know. I hope
1: not, because that's gross. That's Scott Lobdell gross. <laughs> uh, I was
2: just going to say, I like Sierra Mist.
1: <laughs> of
2: course you do. <laughs> I don't like Mountain Dew. I don't really like Pepsi or Coke or any of that. I'll drink a Sierra Mist if it's in front of me. Wow. It's in
1: front of me. If a Sierra Mist was to just materialize, like it's not your
2: straight cheese <laughs> well, Sierra Mist. I was just saying if you're at a restaurant that only serves those and it's like, all right, you gotta press the button for one of these, uh I'll I'll take a Sierra Mist. Put it in the cup.
0: Put it in the big thick red cup. I'll take it. You but just your
1: point, yeah, great comics to read while you enjoy your X-Men paraphernalia.
0: First off, I'd like to say that
2: uh, I'm with Jesse. I like Bishop. And I would go so far as to say that I actually think he does time travel stories better than Cable. Uh,
1: oh my god, you're just like, you are on the fucking like wrong, just, like, wrong way escalator. You just <laughs> go up and you're just going down. You keep
2: going I, up, you're going down. I'm just saying, Cable, oh, Cable, you know, we, we talked about this when we did the Cable mini series. but you ask a dozen people what Cable's defining characteristic is, you're going to get a dozen different answers. The time travel part is the least interesting aspect to him. Bishop, I like a little bit more because Bishop is just far enough in the future where he's like, no, literally one day giant robots are going to murder everyone and build the death camp where Brooklyn used to be. Like, this is the thing we got to fix right now. So you kind of get his urgency. Now, granted, he's got more potential than actual story like I, I can't point to a great Bishop story and say well that's where that wraps up or anything yeah. like that but I I do like the idea of 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 someone who has to be a cop and basically I don't the, in the Terminator future in the future where he's got no other options that he's got to come back and can, his, maybe you know he comes pre-installed with preconceptions and he's got to he's got to deal with that I think Bishop's <laughs> got a lot of narrative potential that the time
0: travel lends itself to oh man whereas Cable it's like the X trader. I mean, that was the big thing for Who me turned back out in the day.
1: Professor X is the fucking thing that happened in this movie. Good point. You can't That's good. Trust point. Professor X. That's all we learned from this shit. Is that he's a son of a bitch. As it turns out, Kane hey Marco was right. Hashtag Juggernaut.
2: I was going hey, to say, Mike,
1: they're growing up together. He's, he's, this guy's a piece of trash. And we all thought that J- Juggernaut was the bad guy. It turns out he right. was just right. Also, with Bishop, what you're saying, you're like, oh, man, Bishop's very straightforward with Cable. You get a bunch of different interpretations. Wow. Sounds like a more interesting character. <laughs> oh, wow. So, it, so this character developed and changed in different things. Bishop, still just a cop. Hey, bring the fucking jackboots in here during the Civil War. Come on, man. I will Um, say you're right about the time travel thing, though. And you are right in that, like, Bishop is much more, like, urgent with, like, his needs. Cable's playing a weird game where—because he time travels at will, usually. Yeah,
2: like—
1: So I I understand your point.
2: Like, Cable Cable uses time travel the way Doctor Who uses travel. It's not really— It's not part of his arc. He can just do it. You know, Cable's not trying to... He'd like to prevent his future, but his future's like 2,000 years from now. Well,
1: Bishop would like to prevent his future. Cable, he could prevent it, but most importantly, he has to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, As long as he defeats Apocalypse at some point, it's fine. Bishop is like, I don't want my thing to happen whatsoever. And And neither of them are probably wrong, you know? So...
2: Yeah. It's just a matter of perspective. Yeah, and then, Bishop
1: is, it's, it's,
2: no, but I, I do like the idea that Bishop as a representative of, of like, you know, he had to make a lot of a lot of compromises in the future to, to even get to the point where he had a chance of fixing things. And then when he when he really meets the X and when he gets to meet these legends, it's like not only are they real people they're mostly flaws by volume because they're outlaw heroes, they're teenagers, they're basically child soldiers. And I just, I I think that's kind of the inverse of what we are talking about of, of like Jubilee or Shadowcat or movie Rogue, who's young, who want to go back to their normal lives, who haven't yet assessed that their normal lives don't exist. In Jubilee's case, maybe that's for the best. But with Bishop, it's like it's like no, my life was a hole. I never want to go back to it. And if I could get the heroes to know this crucial piece of information, I could prevent anyone from having go through that. And it's like yeah, but the heroes are kind of screwed up, and there's a reason that Sentinels murdered your family. So, but with Cable, it's kind of like
1: it's something you, know, you
2: did. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. But Cable, Cable is the better character. Cable's got better storylines. He's got things fleshed out, uh, everything else. Bishop, again, I I don't really have anything to point to, you know. Looks
1: cooler, has cooler guns. (laughs) Um, I think, honestly, I will say this about Bishop, though, and I don't want to say, you know, like, I think it's important that there was like a young black guy in the X-Men at that time. I really think, you know, I mean, I think the X-Men has always had like really good diversity, but like before Bishop, like who's the black man, x Men? you know, you have Storm, which is important. You know, I mean, I think she's arguably the most important African-American black female superhero of all time. But like, I think it was important for young men at that young black men at that time to be able to look at the X-Men and be like, okay, there's somebody who looks like me. And uh, I think that was very important, too. So I I don't want to take that away.
2: Lucas Bishop is one of the many X Men that the, the, there's a lot of potential there. I don't know if he ever got it, but I, I, I think there was a possibility.
1: I so would read a Punisher Bishop team
2: up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: If you, honestly, I think I would like Bishop more the more he gets away from the X Men. Like, I want to—I've never read his miniseries, but I heard from somebody that it was that if I didn't like Bishop of the X Men, I would like that miniseries. So oh,
2: okay. I'm
1: interested to try that at some point.
2: I, I don't know if this is the miniseries you're talking about, but after House of M, he becomes a detective in uh, Mutant Town back when—or that it might have been. Right, it was around the time of House of M. Anyway, he's—he's he's basically a mutant. Cop is basically the idea of like if there's a crime in the mutant community, you come to me and I'm a detective and I'm going to solve it. Uh, and I, I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting premise. I like the idea of his beat being basically like the section of New York where all the mutants have settled, and everyone's like, Well, we don't trust normal cops, so we can trust him. You know, he's one of us, he was an X Men, uh, he probably punch forge at some point. Like you could trust a guy who does all those things. So never quite gets there. Again, I always go back to, if you sided against Captain America in the civil war, something, yeah. something, something wrong with you, something wrong with you. Bishop did that. So I can't forgive him for it. No. But you, uh, you nailed my very first note on, on these four issues, which was this whole thing feels like a precursor to Onslaught. Because these things came out in 1993, Onslaught was 1996, and mm-hmm. they reveal at the end that all the danger... At the uh, end.
1: At the end, like, every page ends and like... Even, like, as a kid, I was like, that's Professor X. Oh, yeah, <laughs> every right. Every issue ends, right, you know, with, like... Each shadow. issue
2: ends with, with an increasingly uh, more obvious silhouette of who the, the big bad is. But, but again, I like that, too, because, again, I remember being that age, and it's like, to your point... Well, you you know that's Professor X. He made a he made a, a a big point of showing you what Cerebro looks like, so you know what he looks like when he's wearing it. But again, it, the 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 first issue reveal isn't just Professor X sitting there. So you kind of get this plausible deniability. It's like, well, is he mind controlled? Is something possessing Cerebro that's possessing him? Doron
1: is in this one. That's that shit he does. There Ooh. you go.
2: There you go. So I'm just saying you're you're given little bits of a hint so that. By the time you get to the end of the fourth issue. And it's like, no, as your teacher, I thought you should all face certain death to make sure that you were <laughs> up to the challenge or face. Remember the-,
1: the part where Jubilee has to fly the fucking Blackbird into the fucking like little spot? Like it's like it's goddamn Sc- Captain Skyhawk from the NES where like you had to like dock with <laughs> the like, sick. Even worse, it was like Top Gun where you were trying oh, to get gun. like, you're trying to land on the carrier or get refueled. Nobody ever did it. Nobody, oh. and you always died. And, like, she had to do this. Professor, like, Professor X almost, like, killed her. Like, Wolverine was going to live through anything. Like, Daisy Johnson said like, an earthquake in his heart. And he just lived through it. Like, Wolverine, whatever. Oh, my you goodness. Know? But, like, how could you do this to, like, Jubilee, who, like, started to be a superhero eight minutes ago to the point where she has not taken her raincoat off. You know what I mean? She's not even comfortable in the X-Mansion yet. uh it's terrible. That's just, like, terrible, man. I just think that's, that's not a way to treat a team. For people oh. who, like worship you
2: you know this is pretty consistent with the way professor x has always been shown there's that famous image of kitty saying professor x is a jerk and he's constantly been shown to do weird stuff like if you've read the issues it's uh oh
1: no you're right my headcanon professor x though and this is why it's weird for me to see him portrayed this way and stuff that's like packed into the animated series is the animated series, Professor X, where he's pretty good, dude. He doesn't really do a lot of that. He doesn't gaslight people. He's pretty straightforward. Just, you know, really wants to help, you know, and it's not just like secretly I'm pulling all these strings. Look at all these fuck, fucking muties. Like he's the guy from ruins. He's like, you all came from my dick.
2: I like a more questionable Professor X when you are reminded that he is, in fact, a professor. You, you see this a lot in the movies too, where you know the the animated series didn't have a bunch of students running around yeah, There's, there's some lip service paid to the fact that most of the people you see were at one point students at the school, but it's not really shown that it wouldn't be. Now it's just movie. a
1: paramilitary strike force.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a bunch of adults, young adults, gorgeous adults running around, you know, blowing up government buildings, be, you know, before the terrorists can blow it up. It's doing blips. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I do like the idea of professor X as being this tough love teacher like the type of teacher who when you have them you hate them. You absolutely hate them. And then you get out into the real world, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I see what you are preparing me for." And in the case of the X-Men, it's like you are going to have to fight an adamantium-covered robot at some point. You're just going to have to. Like, you know, they're they're federal employees. You're going to have to fight one at one point. Plus, my old best friend slash boyfriend slash Holocaust survivor is starting a group of super terrorists on the moon. Like, you're going to have to deal with all of this. If I'm mean to you and I lie to you occasionally while you're living in my Gorgeous mansion in Salem So
0: be it They call it training That's what we're gonna do Yeah yeah.
2: and again I mean a lot of it is 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 is, uh, Taken to the nth level For For narrative effect But it Basically comes down to like, listen, the X-Men, you know, you got a fifty percent chance of being killed right out the gate, you know, until Kirkko and not all these guys get resurrected. So, you know, if you're uh, if you're bold, questionable professor can make sure you don't make the same mistakes he did, I'll oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Why?
1: Yeah, but here's the thing you're talking about tough love, and I think there's a pretty good difference between tough love and outright gaslighting someone. And he's just gaslighting the X-Men. I actually think in the in the in the cartoon he does show some tough love for like jubilee at moments and wolverine at different moments but but like you're right consistently he's not a professor he teaches no classes or anything but i just think you can train people for the real world without gaslighting and manipulating them at the same time i'm not the world's most powerful telepath so what do i know that guy knows everything
2: truthfully i'm always surprised with the exception of you mentioned you mentioned the character of vulcan before I love Ed Brubaker, but I don't know if he should be writing The X-Men. Uh, with the exception of that story, you know, for the for the most part, the, the awful, terrible things that Professor X did could be way worse, considering that he is basically God uh, when it comes to what different characters can remember and recall. Uh, so the fact that people are able to find out he did these things at all is pretty impressive. Right. Um, because uh, I can tell you, I absolutely would not be that altruistic about the world's most powerful telepath. Um, mm. but, but, I try yeah, to be. I would try to be too. It would last five minutes. It would. I mean, it just you know, it would last five minutes, right? You you you'd realize you
0: could make someone think whatever oh. you wanted or or anything. I mean, you, we don't have that type of self control. I don't know answer, how he Just like that, like you know, if I could actually figure out what she wanted for dinner.
2: And you're not the anarchist of the group, so good to good to know that. Uh, <laughs> what
1: <you were>
2: <laughs>
1: I would honestly be more like the Purple Man at the start of like Emperor Doom. <laughs> oh my god. But not like the terrible stuff, but I would just want to be set up and be alone. Okay. I just, you know, I mean, like, I, I was just like, okay, great. I can do whatever I do. Well, mostly what I want to do is not have to deal with anybody I don't want to. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to go up here somewhere in Canada and just be fucking left alone. I have no interest in, like, you know, trying to run anything or anything like that.
2: The other thing I loved is the first issue has art by Andrew Wildman who uh, did some of the art on the Transformers comics that we talked about the first episode I was ever on. So that was a... That was a great throwback. I love, I love Wildman. Uh, I feel like here he seems to be channeling—I don't know—one of the Kuberts or or Jim Lee. Dean mentioned this earlier, but the the art, especially on that first issue and the covers, is really good. It feels like what was on the stands at the time, and uh and and, and that's saying something because I feel like you know the fact that this was being given away, they didn't necessarily have to do it, but whether right. it's because of the page rates that Dean mentioned or whatever, I I really d- dug it. Um, it's grabby in a good way. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, like I said, this is
1: obviously if you didn't read the X-Men, this is going to grab you. At least uh, least you're going to read this comic. You may not read another one, but you're going to skim this bad boy.
0: Well, since the comic where Gambit was getting a little, he cannot hold himself back from making some kind of comment about Rogue. Like it's just not in his nature to do that at all. To be Uh, fair, that's
1: all he did in the cartoon and comic book at this time as well.
0: Have we
2: talked about this? I hate
0: Gambit. I think he's the worst character.
2: I love Maggot. I love Ecstasy. Right, and I love okay. Marrow. I hate Gambit. Yeah, I do hate you like Forget Me Not? Me. No, I don't. And the reason I don't like Forget Me Not is he's one of these characters where it was like, oh, you have an ingenious way of doing, what was it, like an eight-page story and the character's never brought up again. And I know that's consistent with the way he's portrayed, but you always see people bring him up online and it's like, Forget Me Not's a great character. Forget Me Not's a great character. It's like, no, great character is one you can use
0: every month, people. Every mm. month. I never found anything other than the X Trader storyline where interesting that he was involved in. Uh, I think I even own the Gambit miniseries and I can't even remember what happens in it. Like, yeah, it's a lot of it's not
2: his fault, right? I mean, listen, Gambit's created by Chris Claremont or co-created by Chris Claremont right at the end of his legendary run he doesn't get the time to do what he does with all the other characters which is tease the backstory and build it up and do everything else the character it comes in and then, then by the time we get up to speed you know Claremont's in the middle of fighting with his artists and then he leaves altogether so some of it's not his fault Gambit gets thrown into the television series before I, I think before he even has a real name uh, he becomes very popular because he's got a cool coat and he's got a stick and he's got an accent. He's got lavender eyes. Um, Playing cards? yeah. He throws throws playing. Who could be cooler in 1992 than a guy who throws playing cards that explode? Oh, man. Man. And then the the other thing I'll say about him, which has nothing to do with all this nonsense, is when Grant Morrison came on, one of the first things that was created was the character Phantom X, which is basically... Anything you can, any story you can tell with Gambit, you can tell with Phantom X, except Phantom X is an exponentially better character with a better backstory, so. But isn't he just like a, a ripoff of that French character? It's he actually, not even a rip-off, he's literally a public domain French character that had the letter X thrown at the end, which, again, the fact that he's so much better than Gambit is uh, even a further slap in the face of <laughs> of, of Mon- Monsieur Lebeau. Anyway, well, I, I
1: love Gambit. I think Gambit <laughs> is fucking terrific. <laughs> but i will admit that like what i really like again about gambit i think it you know part of it is all the stuff you said like that look is just fucking great and he's one of the only guys outside of like the kirby new gods who can pull off that fucking like i have a thing around like my head and my sideburns but then my hair comes out of it it's definitely more like the cartoon and my idea of gambit than it necessarily is any like great gambit story. Like I don't know any great gambit stories off the top of my head. I think he's cool when he shows up and, you know, looks cool. I love Donatello and they and so I could twirl a staff. So if we play if I pretend to be the X-Man, I could like twirl one because I've learned that from the Ninja Turtles. So that was a good skill to carry over. Mostly, yeah, Gambit's just cool in like my headcanon, you know, I mean I just I just I like him. I will say in the cartoon Wolverine and the X Men, he's really awesome. Okay. But he's not really on the X Men. Like, he's like, he tries to steal like a dampening collar from them. And this lady is like, you know, she's trying to hire somebody to steal it. There's all these thieves. They're like, no way. And I'm breaking into the X-Mansion. And all of a sudden, you just hear, like, I steal it for you, Cher. And they all just, like, part. And Gambit's, like, laying on a couch, like, throwing cards up and down, you know. That's Gambit. That's just cool. And that's all there is to it, you know. But I do admit that much like Ghost Riders, you know, a lot of it is in that that early punch. Like, then you, you kind of move on. And I don't know what classic Gambit story I would recommend. So,
2: Well, I, Jesse mentioned it earlier, but the big reveal of his or- origin, which... Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with Chris Claremont. That he actually put together the Marauders to put together the Marauders. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. Who were responsible for the that's mutant not
1: massacre? A, not a great move.
2: Well, no, but I I actually think that's really interesting. I, I like the idea that someone looked at the lack of backstory the mysterious connections that the character appears to have and said okay what's the most messed up thing that this guy could have been responsible for that acting as a superhero in the x-men is him trying to make up for and the reveal that he you know got together a bunch of he made the guys massacre yeah but but that's a that's a good gut punch cuz it's like I you know heard- i'm i'm down on my luck I, i'm good at one thing someone shows up with a bag full of Crisp money and says, "Listen, I need you to gather these twelve scumbags." And Gambit's like, "Yeah, absolutely." And you don't find out till years later that the guy was a white supremacist or, well, however you would describe Mister Sinister, and that he wanted to use these 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 mutants to murder innocent, down on their luck homeless super people and and that that was a defining characteristic and then resulted in the, in the X-Men and many other superheroes being hurt and Gambit's like, well, I didn't hurt anyone, but I'm definitely not going to brag about this. And then when they find out later on, it's kind of like, Oh, you're, Bad, 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 bad. And then they leave him in Antarctica to die. So I always like that because I, I, I like the idea that, you know, he was sitting in the back of the room going, as long as no one finds out I did that thing and I can yeah. I can save enough people and I, and I can try to, you know, it's, it's the Wolverine thing, right? Like Wolverine went out and he's murdered what hundreds of people but most most we would say either a had it coming because they were they were bad people who were beating up other people or he wasn't in his right mind he was being right. used as a weapon by people who should know better and it's kind of the same thing like gambit wasn't sitting there going oh yeah you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna kill Blowhard and mask and already in leech it's like yeah, no yeah. he was paid for, Can't a job. Wait
1: for you guys to crucify angel yeah exactly it's just uh <laughs> and also like doesn't it, that's like shadow cat winds up stuck in her face so that leads to fantastic four versus the x-men and like yeah. i think colossus is like really really hurt during that time too but he yeah. mercs that guy i forget who it might be harpoon i can't remember yeah. you know but like man he mercs that guy it costs him a lot though good stories yeah
2: right. Yeah. I mean, those, those, hell. nowhere in sight. No, those, those early Claremont crossovers, those, listen, you, all your books are the top selling books. You got to make an event out of it. it. Simonson yeah. wants to join on since you're working with his wife, like make this happen. And Claremont made them matter. Those early crossovers, those didn't just happen and yeah. they were forgot about it. Like he, he wove them back into the story. So he, yeah. uh, you know, victim of his own success. Cause when he wasn't doing it anymore, they were just like, all right, you know, onslaught, infinity crusade, Atlantis attacks. It's You know, we gotta we gotta have them, uh, but no one else knew what he was able to do. So anyway, I'm flipping through the issues as as we talk. The other character that I have no love for is Kazar. I, I don't know if you guys uh, particularly like him, but every time he shows up, I'm just like all the way escalator. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like
1: I don't know if we can be friends after this show. You know, like cable? Oh. You love time. Scott Lobdell? You hate Gambit? Now you don't like <laughs> Kazar. I'll be honest, though. I don't love, love Kazar, but I love Kazar in the spots where there should be Kazar. And if you're going to the Savage Land, he should be there. Be I'm there, much yeah. less interested when they're like, here's Kazar trying to be a businessman in New York City. You leave that shit to X-O Man of War, buddy. Get back to the Savage
2: Land. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whenever I... he shows up and he stands around... With his his little loincloth, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, I guess. I don't know. I guess this is cool. Like, part of me, too, is like, oh, wait, you're a British nobleman, and you got dropped in this place, and all the human or humanoid races who live in the south of the planet are now looking to you for, I don't know, leadership or spiritual guidance or some nonsense. But uh, I also I love the character of uh, Sauron. I remember when... The Lord of the Rings movies came out and I was like, hey, he's got the same name as this uh, dinosaur character from the X-Men. That's that's weird. I wonder who stole from who. Um, yeah, but I,
1: I like. Yeah, I well, like uh, Roy, Tom, it's pretty open about that.
2: Yeah, no, Roy, Roy, Roy the Boy is good at uh, wearing his literary influences on his sleeve. I, I always appreciate that about and him. And
1: Kazar is like an old Marvel character too. Like they did pulp stories yeah. about yeah. Marvel yeah. about Kazar in like the '30s and '40s, I want to say. Yeah. So it was a name they made About listen, he's obviously fucking Tarzan. Like anybody who makes any bones otherwise is being silly. But I think in a universe where there's like a blind lawyer who like kicks shadow ninjas, there's room for a Tarzan pastiche, and I'm glad to have them in the marvel
2: universe you you nailed it perfectly it's when you go to the savage land the lost world you know this trope that predates the marvel universe you need you need someone there right you need someone to quickly get the characters up to speed and move them on to the next thing in this case it's getting an arctic vibranium so you're you're Right. And and again, Love Dell doesn't go out of his way to make Kazar the center of the story. The center of the story is Wolverine's going to fight Sabretooth because it's 1993 and we know exactly what you want. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that is delightful. If if you gave me a comic <clears throat> that was just called Wolverine versus Sabretooth and every month I got 20 pages of them fighting, in Canada, across the world, across time, uh, I would be very, very happy to have that on my pull list. Um, but yeah, you're right. Kazar is Tarzan, and he shows up, and he's in the Savage Land, and when Spider-Man, or the X-Men, or whomever have to go down there, they've got a friend uh, who occasionally says git. The- well, and the
1: real star is Zabu. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, this whole comic could have just been that kitty, just doing kitty stuff, <laughs> chasing, chasing some, like, giant rabbits, Maybe he has to like fight Cyberforce. I don't know. But like, it could have just been Sabu doing stuff.
0: Uh, I don't want to see Cyberforce beat up on a poor cat.
1: <laughs> I don't think you want to see what that cat did do to Cyberforce, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> apart. He's a hunter, the Lord of the jungle. Nature's Lord killing of
0: the McDonough.
1: jungle. No, he, no you, you're right. Cyberforce would absolutely win. That. The, the real way that he beats Cyberforce is he just rolls over on his belly and asks <laughs> for Scricians like this jubilee. Who's going to hurt him then? Stryker's yeah. going to go give him like Scricians with like three oh, different arms. For yeah. a going the belly <laughs> it's going to be nice. <laughs> They're gonna give uh, Zabu like a cyborg guy. He's just gonna join the team. Oh,
0: <laughs> perfect. Love
2: it. I yeah. was very happy to see I would
1: be I would buy that by the
2: way. Carmela Ununcion, who I thought was Eunice the Untouchable. And then I had to look this up and uh, apparently Lovedell just reused the name on a, a seemingly unrelated character in yeah. Acolyte of Magneto. So that made me very happy because I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember you from back then. Good to know that Lovedell was doing a little bit of cross-promotion because that was an Acolyte he created. But How the, about the when
1: Beast makes a proton pack so they can beat Magneto? <laughs> Pretty neat. Egon Spangler, not in, not nowhere in sight. Not even yeah. in this universe. But wow, he whipped one of those up.
2: My favorite of the four and you guys mentioned this, is is issue four because, wow, just just wow. Like, I know in 1993 a lot of us probably didn't know what a computer was or how it worked or anything like that, but the X-Men journey to cyberspace, and it is a thing of beauty. It really, really is. Uh, It is apparently the only time where Bishop can use his guns, maybe because uh, he's CGI at this point, there's, no, a, there's like know. there's
1: like this phantom force that keeps him from shooting people in the eye. It's like he's like, what is that? It's like it's the code master. <laughs> <thing>. Oh man! <laughs> That's amazing. I Come like on. how they're strapped into like shit that looks like it's from us, uh, the Lawnmower Man. Movie, Lawnmower right? Man. Yeah, was right, same dude. thought
2: I had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're floating up there. I'm looking at the panel right now. You know, that's one thing about these is that you have plenty of splashes throughout the comics. I mean, even if even if they were a smaller size, whatever, two-page splashes show up quite a few times. Yeah. Um, so. And the inside
1: uh, covers had stuff, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were drawn, you know, you get, like, basically two big gatefold covers. You, you know, I mean, I know it's free, so this is funny to say, but, like, you got your money's worth here, you know, because you had to buy the pizza, the combo meal. It was totally worth it. What's Go your for. favorite Pizza Hut jingle? And what's your favorite, like, Pizza Hut variant? Like, I used to love the Bigfoot pizza. You know what I mean? Like I know it—it was not really that good, but just the idea of it was just entrancing to me as a child. Recently, an object was sighted. It was big, bigger than big, huge, huge, large, astronomically big. Big would be an understatement. Hey, that
0: kid was huge. (laughs) big,
1: When it arrives, you better not be alone. (laughs) Like how this pizza Pizza from Pizza Hut. Two
0: square feet of pizza, twenty-one slices on a tasty new crust, ten ninety-nine for up to three toppings. It's bigger than Pizza Pizza, Big Wood from Pizza, a legendary value. Little Caesar's there,
1: right? They had to compete. They had to compete.
0: Oh man, now oh, wait I gotta hold on can't be Mac going tonight. to Big Mac tonight.
1: Get, get out of here, Mac tonight. Not
0: now, Mac. <laughs> Not now. I could go on for hours about how many times I've watched <laughs> that commercial. Oh well, there you go. Let me go ahead and stop sharing my screen. So the Bigfoot pizza. I was
1: obsessed with it. I thought this was the I thought this was the best deal you could ever have. Look at all that pizza. There was a middle slice, and I I I you know I used to really like thin pizza. And so like that would be like a thin slice so like, oh yeah, let me get that. So Anyhow, I think we only got it twice because you know there weren't coupons for it. That was a that was an incredible <laughs> determining factor about what pizza we would get we went to the pizza place. Had and I learned when I when I moved out to college, you know, and I was ordering pizza on my own, yeah, you gotta have a coupon back in the day because you'd be like, Oh, two two large, you know, two large toppings, you know, 1499. You wouldn't get like one large topping, you know, one large pizza, one topping, like $93 or
0: what the fuck <laughs> ever. You're like, what the hell? What the fuck is going on here? Anyhow. Oh, man. It's great. Good um,
1: times, great at all. Yeah. And my favorite Pizza Hut jingle was like, Pizza Hut, making it great. Making it hot, making it bright, making it easy, pleasing the night. make
2: it we make it fast
1: it's America's favorite pizza
2: try it
0: that's my favorite <laughs> that is a, yeah I'd have to watch the commercials to see what the jingles were I remember that. I think they were the first pizza place that I knew that had like a meat lover's pizza.
1: What would you say if there was a new, even meatier Pizza Hut Meat Lovers Pizza? Feed me. What if we gave you twenty-five percent more meat toppings than before? Feed me. Tons of sausage, pepperoni, everything you love, plus three meltingly delicious cheeses. Feed me. So try a medium Meat Lovers Pizza for eight ninety-nine, and any other medium's just four bucks more. Feed me now. The new Meteor Meat Lovers Pizza
0: from Pizza Hut. What do you say? Feed me good. Cool. 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 I'm the Heartburn like, Express. Bring that shit on, man. Uh, I'll, I'll go with that uh, for my favorite variant of pizza, I guess. Bring on that fucking meat lovers.
2: I, I don't remember any of the jingles, unfortunately. I feel like I have less of an affiliate. Um affinity for Pizza Hut than the two of you do so I do apologize but um you better
1: make- apologize it? for your childhood again because you told me about how much you love Scott Lobdell and Bishop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh? am I making this up or was there was there a dessert Probably. pizza like the, the uh, uh chocolate chip cookie one something like that yeah, yeah I just I remember being physically at a pizza We we, we didn't we didn't go to pizza very often but i i went there for a birthday might have even been my birthday i don't remember but i I remember there being a dessert pizza and just being like that's a that's a brilliant idea i still feel like eating but i also want something sweet that's that's brilliant so what will they think of next yeah
1: man on the moon now dessert pizza
2: we're doing it all (laughs) folks. my pizza was very strange because it was in the same shopping center as like two really good pizzerias. So it was kind
0: of like, well, if you're going there, I I don't know. These these other two places are fine. So Anything left unsaid here on our Pizza Hut Collectors Edition X-Men comics?
2: All I'll say is I don't know how anyone could ever get their hands on these, but if you ever happen to be going through a box and you come across these and you're like, are these worth it? They are. They're, they're written by the guy who was writing the X-Men at the time. The artist's not bad, especially on issue one. The covers are great. They're quick reads. And like I said, you get an X-Men story. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing in these places to say it's not canon if you're the type of person who worries about that. So grab them, you know, especially as far as tie-in books go. I'm happy to keep them in my
0: collection, uh, even if you didn't pick them up back in the day. But uh, I, I liked them. I really enjoyed reading these. I Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen any of these out in the wild. <laughs> I really don't know if I ever have. Probably one of those things where they were just like, unless you're really serious about bagging and boarding things, this probably ended up in the trash. You know, well, and that's of what's making them not
1: make it home from a pizza place. You know, they got grease all over them, you know, that kind right. of thing. Given to kids as part of a, a meal. Um, what I find about these and the real heroes is that, like, the later issues, like, they're not expensive, but they can be hard to find.
0: Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.
1: Scott Lobdell the worst X-Men writer of all time was um uh wrote the others so like I don't have any good words for that guy I'm just gonna say that now I don't like Scott Lobdell I don't think he's talented I haven't read Generation X and apparently that's his magnum opus and I've never read I've skimmed it I've never read it so maybe it's good but
2: you guys ready for some drama no I love Scott Lobdell i love him (laughs) why how could you i he was Uh, he uh you know when i when i started reading claremont wasn't on x-men for very long and lavelle came in and you know he he at one point either tried to or was a stand-up comedian i thought he was funny i have nostalgia for his run i don't know a lot about the man personally i think there have been some issues recently i'm really i'm really not sure i'm i'm completely disconnected from the world around me. But well, he sexually I,
1: harassed that lady at the convention. I know I, that.
2: I I remembered something about that. So again, I'm not I'm not but
1: I hated it before this. So I sure But
2: I was a fan of his for years. Uh his his name uh, for a very long time got me to pick stuff up. I think until the new fifty two when he started writing Red Hood and the Outlaws.
1: Oh my God, uh, it's one of the worst comic books I've ever read in my life.
2: I know and I loved it. I I uh, I, I loved it And uh, (laughs) at at some point, at some point while reading it, I was just like, all right, I think I'm I think I'm done with this. I I think it was like watching a TV show that gets to the seventh season and you're just like, all right, I think you guys were in your course. And that was that was me and Scott Lovedell. I met him once. I was lucky enough to meet him at my very first San Diego convention. He signed my copy of. Batman meets the Darkness. Uh, Cyberforce's good friend Jackie Estacado. Still have that in my right. collection. Quite we got quite that cool. one in. So I, I, I'm a big fan. this. I was actually really excited to see his name on these things. They are not great issues with the X Men, but to Dean's point, they they do do a very good job of setting up who the characters are what Their powers are, and honestly, in the first four issues, you do get a story. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cohesive four issue story, and then he also writes the two part follow up. And again, it's there's a story there, it, you know, mechanically, nothing is missing. So, uh,
1: sure, he, he wasn't necessarily the bad choice for this because he's a bad writer. So, like, what you need is somebody who'll just get everything across very simply and straightforwardly, and he does. Yeah. By I the time re- you're done, my God, you know who fucking Jubilee is, because I hate Jubilee. Oh yeah. Wow, I, she yeah. is center stage of a lot of this. And but that, you know, but, Scott Lobdell and Jubilee, power couple that I dig the most. But you,
2: Jubilee, but that makes sense though, because I think that's one of the secrets to the X-Men animated series success is Is that I hate it, Jubilee? I, I'm not the I'm not the world's biggest Jubilee fan either, but think about it. You get the to see the kids are going to be fans. Well, yeah, right. And we were, you know, we were kids. Me even more than you guys. And it was like, oh, okay. This this kid is going through this thing that she can't explain, and then she is going to go into the. Superhero world and it's, it's it's a tried and true format, right? I mean, how many of Chris Claremont's stories are from the perspective of, of Kitty Pride? Like, this is this is 101. Like, you want to tell a really good X Men story, have a teenager who's going through this nonsense show up at the uh the X Mansion, and then chaos ensues. So, gotta I think be a you,
1: young lady, and she's got to be pals with Wolverine.
2: Listen, man, you, you know, I watched uh X Men, the first X Men movie in theaters, uh, right. opening day, and when I saw Rogue, very Quietly become Wolverine's uh, surrogate daughter in that movie. I was like, I wasn't expecting it, but it checks out. You know, here we are. Well, we'll get into our. If
1: you like Scarlet,
2: look, man. I don't know who said it, but the 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 golden age of science fiction is twelve. Right. Yeah. The stuff you get into when you're a kid, you know, it it makes an impression. I I, I thought he was funny, man. I followed him on the I thought he sucked
1: in. I was the same age. I thought
2: he fucking sucked in. I think he fucking sucks now. He's like the inverse of
1: Bret Hart. He's the worst there is, the worst there was, (laughs) and the worst there ever will be.
2: Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler, so I appreciate that. And again, I, I don't have any, uh, as as the kids would say, hot takes on why I like Scott Lovedell. I, I also, you know, you give me enough time, I'll defend the Chuck Austin X-Men run. Most of it is oh I just goodness. like arguing with people. But, uh, you know, I don't really I don't really have a thing to yeah. stand on. I just know that when I read his issues, I'm like, yeah, all right. This, is, this is time well spent. Gary, you're the one. Wait, I'll take that.
1: I will say I probably dislike Scott Lovedell's work more than it deserves. It's probably better than I get, you know, mechanically and everything that I give it credit for. But like, even then, I liked, I liked it when uh, Nisieza would do the X-Men. I really like John Francis Moore. Oh, yeah, uh, no, X-Factor. Moore's great. Yeah. I really liked uh, I liked X-Force better. And for me, the X-Men, when I'm nostalgic about the X-Men, I'm nostalgic about the cartoon. When I'm nostalgic about the X-Men, I'm nostalgic about the Toy Biz fucking figures that they had everywhere. I still have the Wolverine, the first one, brown and yellow. His mask is a ring. You can put it, it on your finger if you are 12, not if you are 43. Your fingers will be too fast. So... I will say Scott Longdale, when it comes to big moments, he doesn't fuck them up like fatal attractions rules and he's a part of it. And even his stink couldn't make that stink. But like, you know, I mean, he, he, I do like the X-Men big events, but when I try to read it month in month out, I found it to be drudgery and I'm not going to lie to you. I find a lot of Chris Claremont stuff to be drudgery as well. Like now when I see Claremont shit, it's like, Oh man, you're reading a trade. Here's 800 issues with 12,000 words a page in each issue. It's probably better if you're getting them month to month, but like, if you're trying to read like a collection. You're like, God, oh, Jesus Christ. So anyhow, we've, We've gone off track, so Lobdell debate starts now. I'm going to say I'm up two to nothing.
2: So, <laughs> I uh, I got a lot of opinions when it comes to the X-Men. Then, that aren't popular. Uh, one of my one of my favorite X-Men of all time, for no reason, is Maggot. Uh, I know he's terrible. I know he's terrible character. I have nothing to defend him on. It's just uh, I remember when he was introduced. I remember he made. Absolutely no sense, but you had Joe Maddon, Joe Kelly on the book, and I was just like, yeah, all right, cool, I want to see where this guy goes, and of course nothing happened with him, but he's one I got fond memories of, so I, you know, I like a lot of the- I like Maggot. Yeah, I just I like I like crappy X Men. I don't know what to tell you. It's a, uh, it's not even comfort food. It's something more primal than that. It's like you can just you can just straight up enjoy it. It's like I, I got friends who really really like the Teen Titans, and I don't get it at all. But this, you know, garbage 90s X Men. That's that's my that's my food. I can talk to you about that nonsense for hours, hours at a time. Even though I know ostensibly it's probably not the best.
1: I will say this: when it comes to guys like Maggot. Lobdell did get this right when he started Generation X where he's like, we made a bunch of mutants where like everybody's got these cool powers and Jean Grey and Psylocke are supermodels and Wolverine and Cable and Cyclops are always looking cool, doing cool shit. We need to get back to, like, this isn't the best thing, you know, in the society sometimes. You know, like, it's not that easy to be a mutant. And I think Maggot was kind of that way for me. I enjoyed that aspect of him. And also, I feel like we've seen just about every superpower you can. So when somebody comes up with something like, oh, he has these maggots that he shoots out that he, like, communicates with, and they, like, do stuff. I'm like, you know, what? like you, I'm like, I want to see where this goes at least this is an original power. At least we're not gonna, you we're not gonna bring back fucking Scott and fucking Alex's brother that nobody ever heard of, Vulcan, who's apparently just like, I don't know, space Superman seemingly, you know, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, he's very just by the numbers. I'm like, hey, you can do something with this now.
2: I will say that I agree with you. When, 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 when a new X-Men on any of the teams shows up and they look normal and they just have energy powers and they're trying to figure out how to control it or they're super strong or anything else. I'm like, Okay, you could potentially be on the Justice League. But I don't particularly feel bad for you, but like Maggot or to go back to Generation X, Skin or Mondo or Chamber. Um, oh Chamber. Oh my god. I mean Chamber alone. If the guy had never created another character aside from Chamber, I feel like he'd be well remembered. These are characters. And that's why
1: who, I said to be fair, I haven't read
2: that stuff no, closely. No, that's, that's apparently the best shit he ever did, and it and it could really pay off. It, not- it is, but a large portion of that too must, again, you have to give it to the artist. I, yeah, yeah Marvel like nailed it there. Oh, he's uh, he's unmatched, and and you know they clearly sat together and they were like, we need to create new, like this needs to be our generation, the '90s version of the New Mutants. Like we just need to come up with new characters, and uh, you know they're not all still around, but yeah, Gen Generation Gen X is a good time, and uh, part a big part of that is just you know these kids are going to go through it this is a sacrifice and then on top of it you're a teenager at a private school and that book had to right. take place in Massachusetts which there's probably no greater hell on earth so
1: <laughs> i had a friend <laughs> once described to me that the best parts of generation generation x were like the new mutants are in dawson's creek but it's a vertigo book about it
2: that's a great great description of generation x well okay
0: yeah i was <laughs> we talked uh, for
1: 20 minutes about <laughs> nothing <laughs>
0: fucking Scott Lobdell uh, I was just looking at it he got started and uh, it looks like writing I'm, I'm looking at Mike's Amazing World here he started writing "What the" back in '88, yeah, uh, and then he went on to Marvel Comics Presents, had a uh-huh. decent little run there, uh, number starting with issue nine, and then wasn't consecutive or anything. He's writing sparse stories in between there, all the way up to issue forty-seven. Yeah, and he, then
1: he'll tell you like himself, he just went to this Marvel every day because he could, and just basically hung out and annoyed people until he got. They were like, "Hey, we need this tomorrow. We do it," and then he did it, and from then on, he got to do it.
0: Yeah, what? The, that's I why remember. his
1: early credits are like what the Marvel Comics presents, right? That kind of thing, because that's what they would need to fill in.
0: I don't know if you jokingly shared the Jim Hurd thing or if that was an actually legit thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look it up. Well, I did look up well, Jim Hurd, but I was well. Like, Jim Hurd
1: had nothing to do with this. Okay. Jim Hurd was like he was a Pizza Hut executive and like. The late mid mid eighties, later eighties, because he's like in charge of WCW in like nineteen ninety. So he doesn't go back to Pizza Hut afterwards, you know. But uh, but he was the old like you're like what Pizza Hut executive would have approved this? That's the 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 only fucking Pizza Hut executive I could name, you know. So <laughs> right
0: right. Uh, YouTube does YouTube does have a Pizza Hut commercial with Marvel Comics. Uh, didn't I didn't get a chance to look at that, but uh, if you want to get a good idea of some of the advertising out there, folks, head to YouTube. Uh, you can also watch the interviews from the Creator's Choice uh, VHS tapes that are out there. Stanley uh, Scott—they're <laughs> so in depth, Dean. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, go ahead. I should—I should. I should uh, you
0: tell everybody what's on. Who's there? I don't. Uh, I can't remember. I'm thinking it's Fabian. Okay, it was Fabian. Bob
1: Harris. Uh, Fabian is he as a however you say that? I always get that wrong. Stan Lee, Stanley. Lee And um, uh, Scott Lobdell. Everyone, Gary Wade's favorite fucking writer of all time. <laughs> Just. Choking
0: Alan Moore
1: out with the
0: weight of his fucking. Life. <laughs> you know, if Alan Moore were to, to go to conventions to
1: get out of it. You
0: know. I think I think secretly that is why Alan Moore quit because he knew right, he couldn't right, hold right. a candy. He up with Scott <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm out. Uh, Scott Lovedell showed up and did the work, gentlemen.
2: I I I, I have read every <laughs> Alan Moore comic, I get my hands on, but no one no one turns down work. Like Alan Moore. Scott Liddell, I'm pretty sure, is putting out books right now. So, uh, you know, I'm just saying there's something to be Does said he about a steady paycheck in it it? movie. Does he write, write movies? I don't even know.
1: Did he write, like, Happy Death Day?
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're because right, you're he right. He death. he went into screenwriting for a while. You
0: know, you're, you're right. You are right. So, I didn't. I didn't mind that. That was a, it was a you decent. You I've I like seen it.
1: it because based on his reputation, I don't <laughs> want
0: to. <laughs> your reputation precedes your film set. <laughs> right, I'm not right. Right. watching this right. I probably a
1: chance. Maybe he's a much better screenwriter. And that's why Scott Lovedell sucks. What the fuck is that? <laughs> he thinks kids say things that they don't. Um. Uh, also, no comic book re- writer has ever done that before. No. No, you're no. right. He's the first one. Um. I'm glad you pointed that out and I didn't have to
0: This was um, 30 fucking years ago Laugh at painting <laughs>